Just what is authenticity? How do we know we're experiencing it in our daily lives? What are the moments in our life that have led us to a better understanding of who we are as people? These conversations and more happen right here on The Authenticity Experiment. I'm your hostess. My name is Megan Williams. I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Arizona, and I have spent my career helping people find their most authentic versions of themselves and live and grow inside of that authenticity. And now I get to share the stories of people who have taken their own pathway to authenticity. Just a general content warning, most episodes of the Authenticity Experiment have themes that can be considered triggering for some. Please listen at your own pace and understand that when people tell their stories, it's part of their healing journey. And by listening to the stories of others, we can feel less alone. However, if there is content in this episode that you find triggering, please consult with your mental health professional or reach out to me and I can provide you with resources in order for you to start coping with the stress that you may be experiencing in your own life. Hey everybody, this week's episode looks a little different, sounds a little different. Um, And that is because in the course of recording it, we had pretty much every single tech issue that you can imagine. However, uh, we were able to persevere through and this has been one of my absolute favorite conversations to date. Um, I, I speak with Layla, who is a school counselor And she is just an absolute delight. And I enjoyed every single second that I got to speak with her and definitely need people like her in my life. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. I recognize that there are some spots where it's a little choppy from where I had to do some editing to make sure that I accounted for when the technology went wonkadoodle. But I hope that you enjoy it. Again, if you are interested in being a part of this conversation, reach out. Let me know. Um, I'm looking to start booking more conversations for September and October. So if you want to be included in the authenticity experiment, reach out. My email address is in the show notes, or you can reach out to me via the podcast Instagram page. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another conversation that's being held with the Authenticity Experiment. I am your hostess, Megan. Um, If you haven't been listening, I'm a licensed therapist in the state of Arizona, um, and I've been exploring the different ways that people experience authenticity in their daily living, their journey to find out who they are. Um, Today, I have a guest that reached out to me um, that I didn't know before, which is always super fun for me because um, I feel like I do end up talking to people that I kind of know, or at least know peripherally um, through other people. So it's kind of cool that, that this is my first opportunity for somebody who says, hey, I want to do this um, because they found me through the, the miracle that, that is social media. Um, so today I have Layla and I will let her kind of introduce herself, who she is, where she's at, that kind of stuff. I'm Layla. Um, I am a Southern Louisiana born and raised that never quite fit into the Southern Louisiana, except for my accent, really, and my and my love of food. Uh, I'm a school counselor. I'm also a licensed professional counselor. 
have certifications in ADHD and autism. Uh, I'm also working on my PhD in counseling. And I also have ADHD and autism myself. So I bring that fun and I work with the tiny humans, pre-K through second as a school counselor. Yeah. I have to tell you, like, that's the age group that has terrified me the most. And like, I, I can work with teenagers all day long. I can work with adults, but like working with kiddos, man, it takes a definitely a special kind of human to make that happen. What's funny is I actually was terrified when I got this job. Uh, I did all of my internship in high schools. I had only ever worked with teenagers. Um, and when I got the job at my school, I had looked at my husband and I was just like, how am I going to work with them? I really like the F word too much. <laughs> um, and he, and he actually looked at me, he's like, Bay, I actually think you're going to love it more. And he ended up being right. Uh, I get to sit on floors all the time. They're the same size as me. Uh, because obviously you can't really tell my size. I'm five foot even. Uh, so I'm like itty bitty. I run at the same energy as them. And I ended up finding my niche with the tiny humans. And I've been at my school three and a half years now. So I wouldn't change it. So I understand the fear because I was there. I, I have a tiny human that lives in my household. And there are days when I'm very scared of her. So... <laughs> I don't think I can do a whole bunch of them. Fair. <laughs> That's why I tell my teachers all the time, I can't do what y'all do. Give me my small group. I'll do my classroom lessons for 30 minutes. But after that, I'm like, mm, gone. <laughs> like, nope, can't do it. So tell me a little bit about what what inspired you or motivated you to say, hey, I, I want to do this podcast. I want to have this conversation. So I got my diagnosis as an adult. Um, when I was in elementary school, I was identified as gifted. Uh, I actually found those results. I wasn't just like kind of gifted, apparently. I was like in the 99th percentiles for everything. Um, so I kind of flew under the radar because I was super smart. My mom actually had me evaluate it for ADHD when I was like five or six. And they were like, oh, she's just smart and bored. They were wrong. Uh, I, I mean, they were right. I was smart and bored, but that wasn't it. So about a year and a half ago, yes, I got my adult diagnosis of ADHD because um, my husband is also ADHD a fun household uh and I remember I had just started at my job uh and I was running back into the house because I forgot something I don't remember what he looked at me he was like you realize you have ADHD too right I was like I ain't got time for this conversation I need I need to get to work uh and then about a year and a half after that I finally because I was relating, funny enough, to my tiny humans who were dealing with their own ADHD too much. And so I got the diagnosis. About six months later, started medication for it, which was life-changing for my brain. I didn't know I could pick a thought when I wanted to. I learned that. Um, and everything 
seemed to be going well. And I realized that there were still some things like socially and communication wise that still weren't quite adding up. So this past January, I got an evaluation for autism. And sure enough, I, I came out. <laughs> and this summer, I joke, is like my summer of like growth and is cursing allowed? Of course. And getting my shit together. Um, so like I went see a nutritionist because with autism and ADHD comes like sensory issues, but especially for food. And my husband makes fun of me for it all the time. It's great. Uh, then I started seeing an occupational therapist who was helping me with it. And she was fabulous. And I also started like my own therapy. You know, I always joke that a counselor needs their own counselor anyways. Uh, and funny enough, we were tackling unmasking and imposter syndrome because I realized I spent a lot of my life trying to mask those differences from one, like just being more intelligent than my peers the autism, the ADHD, the executive functioning issues. I was dealing with all of that and I didn't know how to unpack and peel back the layers. Mm -hmm. And I just so happened to be coming. I was leaving uh, Texas from a conference and I came across your uh, podcast. I, I think Danielle from Hunts to Humans might have recommended it. And it was like, the perfect amount of time because it was a seven hour drive back to my uh back to my city so I was able to like binge watch all of them (laughs) (laughs) that's a lot of me in a short sitting I was gonna say that (laughs) look I prefer to listen to podcasts all at once and then I still follow them and keep up with them but it's really nice when I can binge it and my brain likes it (laughs) And when I found your podcast and I was listening to people's stories and obviously we always relate to parts of people's stories. And I was just like, oh, this is what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to be authentic in my life now. And that's how I came across it is part of unmasking and peeling back the layers of imposter syndrome is being more authentic to myself and doing the things I need to do. So I can be a more, not just successful, but functional human. I think imposter syndrome is something that um, A, a lot of times gets misused by individuals. But I think that it's something that's so powerful when it becomes kind of our default mechanism. Because we've been taught so much that different is wrong. But different is just different. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just different. And so part of like how I've always had to work with folks who are presenting in that way is to kind of get them to that place of like, well, what do you think makes you a bad human? You know, what makes what makes you think that you don't deserve good things? What makes you think that, you know, you aren't all of these attributes and, you know, virtues that you have? Like, what makes you think that those aren't real? And, and I think especially when we talk about neurodivergency, because there's so still so much stigma attached to folks that have brains that work different, that we just like that, that need to be like, well, you know, everybody thinks that I'm stupid or 
that I'm backwards or that I'm awkward or, you know, I'm lazy and none of those things are true, but that gets internalized somewhere. It really does. And I think what helped me a lot, honestly, is tiny humans are the most authentic humans you will ever meet. They do not care Mm -hmm. and they will be themselves. But I was noticing it, it was, honestly, it was heartbreaking. I was noticing in like my neurodivergent tiny humans, like a lot of these kids I've worked with for the past three and a half years, and I could see them like starting to like hide parts of themselves unless they were in my office. And because my office is, you know, their safe place. Mm-hmm. And then I think back to like little Layla, like who I was. And when it was around, they're all the same age around where I started hiding things. And and I usually do end up giving them hugs. But it's like, I want to hug them and tell them, like, these things aren't bad. You're just different. You need different supports. But that doesn't mean you're less than. That's why I like when they come into my office. They see my ball chair. They have mats. They have fidgets. I have my own fidgets and I'll sh- we'll compare fidgets. And so I think the time humans actually helped me start unmasking and like being more of myself as well. Because I got to see them be authentic and I didn't want them to hide themselves. And how can I expect that of them but do the opposite? If that makes sense. I also think that they are because they are so open and in tune with the present moment that they know when adults are being fake. Oh, they absolutely do. They really do. They they have the best bullshit detectors ever and they have no issues like calling you out on it. And granted, I always live by the motto, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, if you tell me something that I have to like, talk about somebody else who like I'm gonna say it and I'm not gonna tell you something I don't think and I'm not gonna lie to you about it because lying makes me feel icky it gives me the heebie-jeebies I'll be honest but I've seen how they've reacted to people who are lying to them and I'm just like y'all shouldn't have done that I found that when even working with like my teenagers you know I you know they'd ask me questions and I'd be like well look I I know the answer and I know what you're asking. I'm just not allowed to tell you. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And they respect that answer. Like, they're not happy about it, but they respect that answer. And they'd be like, are you sure you can't tell me? Like, no, I can't tell you about it. Like, that's that's that falls into the realm of none of your business. But I have the answer. And just know that I'm handling stuff for you in a different way so that you don't have to worry about it right now. You just have to worry about being a kid and navigating high school. That's all you got to do. And I like that because if you try to just pull something out, they're going to know and then you lose that trust and respect. Mm -hmm. And especially like people think that tiny, granted, my tiny humans tend to come with like trauma and whatnot, mm-hmm. but people tend to think that tiny humans are like the most trusting kind of humans. But I find it's a lot harder 
to win their trust because you have to show them like they're not going to really take you at face value they're going to make sure are you going to repeat it are you going to do what you're going to like you say you're going to do and that's why like there's anything that I like stress to my teachers it's like you say you're going to do something you can't be half-assing it you have to follow through mm-hmm. like can't do I think it's you know there are two things that I think fold into that the first is is that when you have a kiddo who's had any kind of you know negative caregiver experience right the person that's supposed to keep them safe hasn't kept them safe in some way or hasn't met their needs in some way they're automatically going to distrust every other human being alive. The second is, is this is where like people forget, like they think that kids are supposed to be so trusting, but like we hammer stranger danger into their heads. (laughs) And it's like, they're not going to, like I, I, when I sit down with a a newer kid and, and they're, you know, 13, 14, and even some of my adults, I'm like, you've spent your entire life learning not to trust strangers. And here I am asking you to trust me who you met five minutes ago with the worst experiences of your life. I get how that's weird. Yeah. It's thankfully, usually after those five minutes, like the kids realize like, oh, she's not going anywhere. Because I say after five minutes, usually before those five minutes, they've seen me running around campus already. Because uh, I try to make it to where the time I spend in my office, it's spent with tiny humans. Um, like people like to think school counselors like just do paperwork. And now I avoid it um, <laughs> unless it's my own data uh, and like my own lesson plans. Um paperwork is not my friend it's boring terrible I hate it (laughs) so I'm usually running around the campus and usually sometimes literally um and then I get told by a tiny Miss Touche we're not supposed to run and I'm like I got places to be do as a saying out as do you don't run I have better balance and I don't have gym class later, so we're good. <laughs> that too. Like, it's like, I might go join you for gym class. Right. But I have done that. I've taken kids. We have a track at my school. Mm-hmm. So like, especially like my ADHD kiddos who just need that. Mm-hmm. Access, I've taken them out on the track and we've run together. They tired me out. <laughs> So when you start thinking about like how you define authenticity and how you explain it to, to the kiddos, like how, how did, how have you come up with your definition of what that means to you? I've been thinking about that. And especially I always, there's a lesson I actually do with my tiny human where we talk about like being who we are is okay and that everybody has something that makes them different and I'll never forget there are some kids where I'm just like look Miss Touche's a little weird Touche's a little crazy and I own it because it's part of who makes me me and it so I think it's part of it is owning the parts of ourselves that 
you know, people consider good, but also owning maybe the parts of us that other people don't see as positive, but finding our own positive in it, if that makes any sense. But I think it's showing up as you are. Like, telling my kids, like, you say what you got to say in here. And there's, we do what we got to do. And that's kind of how I started, like, living my life. Like, doing what I need to do, whether it's wearing loop-quieting earplugs or having a fidget in hand or sitting on floors during meetings because I don't like regular chairs. It's even as simple as, like, telling somebody, hey, I see all the words floating across my face right now. Give me a second to pick the words I need to say. And I just encourage my tiny humans to do that. And I try to practice it as well. Like, I'll tell them in classroom lessons, like, give Miss Touche, give Miss Touche a second. I know the words there. I got to find it. So I think it's not just being ourselves, but modeling it for them as well. So they know it's okay. I think that when we do that too, like just out in the world, we give other adults permission to, to be themselves. One of the things that like I work really hard with um, people that I meet or that I work with in general is that idea that there is no magical line that we crossed where something that used to be fun for us should no longer be fun for us. Like, that magical line into adulthood doesn't take away the fact that swings and skateboards and toys and fidgets are good. It cut out after you said the idea that. It's okay. So I'll just tell you what I said and then you can like this the the idea that we cross this magical line in adulthood where stuff is supposed to stop being fun just because now we're adults like swings and toys and uh, skateboards and like all the things that that we truly love as kids just because I turn 18 I magically have to stop liking those things or because now all of a sudden I've hit puberty, I'm not allowed to do those things anymore. Like, but who says? Yeah. Like, and I fall into like a, an even weirder category because, you know, with autism comes special interests. Mm -hmm. Mine tend to be Harry Potter and Pokemon Go. Love it. <laughs> and, you know, people will see me wearing like my Harry Potter shirts or they see me playing Pokemon on my phone. Or I have even, like, my Nintendo Switch, and they're like, oh, what's your plan? I'm like, Pokemon. And they look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, you don't get to take this joy from me. <laughs> this makes me happy. Like, I'm sorry you don't want that joy, but it's like, I live in a house full of gamers. So I get to experience that joy all the time. But I think that's Honestly, I think that's why I work so well with the tiny ones because I'm just like, oh, you y'all want to play a game? Let's play a game. 
You want to play red light, green light? Let's do it. Uno. Uh, do you remember the Boppets? Yes. I found a mini one of those on Amazon. And I, I use that with like my ADHD kids to help them with like working memory, uh, following directions, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of my students looked at me and she was like, Miss Touche, I think you're enjoying that game more than me. It's like, probably not wrong. <laughs> like, that's because I've played it enough to have some mastery of it. <laughs> You'll enjoy it this much once you get to that level. He's got to level up. And we would work on them leveling up. And there, she probably was just like, I get why you like it. She was like, it's nice to hear my score getting higher and higher. I was like, right? Like, give me that dopamine. Love it. Plus all the flashing lights and all the stimulus, you know. Mine doesn't have flashing lights. The original ones did, you remember? Like, they had, like, the flashing light on the side. Yes, they did. This one is, like, a little mini one. So I guess that's where they took it out, maybe. Um, So... Obviously, you know, getting getting some clarity with your diagnoses in adulthood was it was a moment for you that was instrumental to you kind of walking on on this part of your journey. Were there other moments in your life that have been really pivotal to helping you understand who you are as a person? So I I have quite a few. Um, This is not necessarily a moment, but a person. Uh, My mom. Love my mom and she has cerebral palsy so she essentially gave a big old middle finger to every doctor and because they told her she would never be able to drive she wouldn't be able to have a kid you know all the you you won't be able to do this and she essentially said fuck you yes i will um and i exist so she obviously had a child right but my mom I mean she showed me all the time what it meant to like just be resilient to my mom showed me a lot of resilience but she's also the sassiest person alive and I got it from her I actually had a Facebook memory pop up the other day where she was just like imagine me breathing fire out my mouth I'm a dragon Layla I'm a dragon and I'm just like that's where I got it and you wonder why I am the way I am mama like (laughs) you taught me this you taught me this sass you taught me the creative imaginative sass um also fun fact uh I'm really good at hurting myself and all of those injuries have kind of funny enough made me slow down in maybe ways I didn't necessarily want to but needed to um I had three major shoulder surgeries before 25 um, because I've dislocated my left shoulder 22 times. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, I got hit by a car on a moped and I walked away from it with minimal injuries. Um, Yeah. I've got, I gave myself a seizure when I was a baby. I was jumping in my crib and I got stuck underneath the mattress. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I have fun, like, 
accident, like injury stories. But I look at all those things and it's like, I should not have walked away from most of that. And I remember being like, I, I say like for the moped incident, I had a party in my ER room. I don't know how we got 12 people in there, but we did. <laughs> and I actually didn't start crying until somebody started singing a Taylor Swift song. Like I got hit by a car, didn't cry at all. I was making like jokes and I was double slinged up because shoulder came out of socket. The other side had a box of fracture in my hand and I had to relearn kind of how to function a little bit. I had to rely on other people to get things done and that was hard. But it made me slow down and realize more about myself and the things I do need help with. Because I always say, my mom raised an independent little shit. She did. She always wanted to make sure I could fend for myself. But I know that I took it to the extremes. And that was part of my masking. Because everybody saw this gifted, uh, my natural hair is very, very blonde, like cotton top blonde. So a lot of people are just like, oh, you're this tiny, adorable, blue-eyed blonde, super smart. Why can't you do all these things? So I started pretending I could. And, and having all those injuries forced me to slow down. It forced me to ask for help because I literally couldn't do things. When you're double slink, it limits things. But all those injuries made me realize that it was okay to ask for help. And I had to start with the physical injuries first and in learning how to ask for help. I started learning how to ask for help in the other ways, like going to the nutritionist, getting my own counseling, getting my diagnoses, you know, taking those mental health days off of work when I need to. But having a strong mama and all those injuries really made me like see that not that independence is bad, but you don't always have to do it alone. We strive as human beings for interdependence. That idea that I can do things by myself, but it's okay if I need assistance with certain things because we are not built to be able to do all things at all times for all people. We're just not. Really not. And honestly, I have to thank my husband a lot too for that because I managed to find somebody who's just as hard-headed and ADHD as me. <laughs> and it's funny because you have me who's like the counselor and all up in my feels. And then you have him who is like, I was in the Marines. I did military. I, I like my video games. Super logical. But we balance each other out. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see how we work together. <laughs> I, I think that it, it becomes like when we integrate all of our personalities, some of that stuff just happens because when we get 
closer to 100% authenticity in the moment, right? Because who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow. Because something could happen later today and tomorrow is going to be completely different. But when we get to that 100% authenticity for the day, it we don't have to completely split ourselves and be one person in one spot and one person in another spot. And, um, you know, I, I dial my stuff down when I'm working, working with when I'm spending time with family, see, <laughs> or with friends, or, you know, I, I have a lot of people that, you know, when they hear what I do for a living, they, they are like, Oh, can I get your number? Can we hang out? And I'm like, Oh, you just want a free therapy session. And I don't do that. Like, if you want to just hang out, <laughs> then here is my business number and you can contact me and set up an appointment. It's like, I'm not doing it on your couch. <laughs> like we have master's degrees and those are not cheap. And I have boundaries and those were not cheap either. <laughs> Very true. And that's actually one of the things like me and my own therapist like are running into because so much of who I am is just counselor like like even as a kid I was always the one like trying to help people and everything else like I just I used to teach karate in high school to four and five year olds like that's another one of my special interests so throw in the fact that I'm also like a tiny martial arts badass is great. Um, um, and I still get to kick things, which is very exciting. <laughs> Kicking is literally one of my favorites. But I get to use those things, but it also taught me about like boundaries. Like you were saying, like, but having to figure out, okay, not necessarily separate, but like you said, like dial it down pull it back and that's why like sometimes I come home and if my husband works offshore so he's like gone half the year uh so if I come home and he's home I will you know kiss him hello and then I'm like I'm going hide in the room and I don't even have to say it he can look at the look on my face and know she needs to decompress and if I try to hit it right now it's not gonna end well mm -hmm. I am um... I, I get to have these moments where like, and, and maybe this is your experience as well, but I think that it's, it's been true for a lot of my other therapist friends is this idea that because we attend to people as just kind of naturally part of who we are and we're very present and in the moment that there are times when like, if we don't dial it down, we then become very unseen inside of our own relationships because people just assume that we're attended to because of the way that we attend to others and um, having those moments where it's like, Nope, I'm good. I'm going to go back here and I'm going to hide for a minute and then I'll be back. Um, my, my biggest thing is, is that when I walk through the door, I don't have to be on, I don't have to have my customer service face. I don't have to like have the neutral expression that, that has the slight smile that comes with being a therapist. I just have a flat face. I just have my face and I drift into our RBF sometimes. And I admit that, but I just, I just walk in the door. And the first question is, why are you mad? Are you pissed off? And I'm like, no, this is just my face. <laughs> like, this is just my face. 
<laughs> I'm literally trying to get the dog out of the way, prevent the cat from running outside and put all my stuff away. This is literally just my face. <laughs> and so there are some days when I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I turn around and then I come back and I have my customer service smile on and I'm like, how is your day? How are you? What do you need right now? <laughs> This reminds me, for 4th of July, I was reading a book that had, like, a lot of, like, emotional, like, trauma going on, and unlike you, I don't, I don't normally have, like, resting bitch face, uh, I am the person where I loved masks, because I could hide half my face, because my face will say everything, um, and my brother-in-law looks at me, he goes, Layla, are, are you okay? I was like, I'm reading. And he goes, but you look like you're about to like tear somebody apart. And I was like, it was a highly intense like situation in the book. And he's like, yeah, no, I could see it on your face, Layla. And I was like, yeah, no, not mad. Just it was a rough scene in that story and I was feeling it. I have a, a coffee mug that I think maybe I should send to you. <laughs> it says, uh, it's not, or what my, it's not my fault for what my face does when you talk or something like that. <laughs> that is me. And I don't mean to make the faces. Like I have people who will talk to me on the phone. And I'm just like, I know, you know, the face I'm making. And they're like, Layla, I know. Like, yeah, that face a lot, and I'm like, and I, I know when I should hide it. I've like parent meetings. I know I need to control it. Um, like I, I will hide behind a Chromebook, uh, if I have to. <laughs> Wear a baseball hat and just like pull it down. <laughs> Look, there are times where I purposely. Like, I don't normally like wearing my hair down at work. I will do it so that my bangs can, like, go into my face on purpose, but make it look like an accident. Just because it's like, I can't, I really can't help what my face says sometimes. No, like, I, I get that. Like, that idea that, you know, being okay with what our faces are doing and showing people that we it's okay to express your thoughts through nonverbals, right? Um, but obviously, you know, there are situations where we definitely have to curb it because I have a, I have what I call a what the fuck line. It's this, this guy right here. And people ask me how I got the, first of all, there are a lot of people that ask me if I'm going to Botox it and I'm like, that's weird. Um, but people ask me how, how I get it. And I said, well, I worked for five years with teenagers in a residential setting that alone would do it. And then I spent five years working in post conviction law enforcement settings, like prisons. You definitely have a lot of what the fuck moments. Um, I'm like in the reality too, when you work with a substance abusing population and they come up with these brilliant ideas about how they can just use a little bit of heroin and I'm like, I feel like, I'm like, when has that ever worked? 
just, it just kind of comes out and it's, it's very clear that that's exactly what I'm thinking when that line gets really deep. And my daughter even knows when that line comes out, when she's lying or doing something that's like really ridiculous, like she has a stroke of brilliance in her head. And in my head, I'm seeing ER visits and I give her the look and she's just like, I'm sorry, mama. <laughs> You are not wrong. Substance abuse populations will do that. Two years in a teenage drug rehab as a tech. I get it. Adults don't get much better. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you my final question. And this is the one that some people really like and that some people really hate. What are two things that you love about who you are today? Man, it's hard. Like, I feel, it's funny because I feel the imposter syndrome wanting to, like, pop up with this question. Uh, I love that I'm very passionate. Um, whether it's about helping my tiny human, helping my friends and family, whether it's Harry Potter or karate or anything, I am very much a person where I will not have acid. <laughs> Uh, so the first thing I love about myself is that I'm very passionate um, and second one's so hard and, and I knew this question was coming okay, you're not new <laughs> I know <laughs> uh, I think I think I love the fact that I am also just a persistent little shit. I've, I've never, apparently, even as a baby, I was telling doctors, fuck you. Because I was admitted for failure to thrive. They said I was going to be, in those words, I know we don't use those words now, but they told my mom I was going to be mentally retarded because um, I was too small and everything and jokes on them I ended up on the opposite side of things and it's like I've lived through things that I should not have and I have done things that people said that I would never be able to do and I get to be like I did it and I get to do my little dance with it so my passion and my persistence I would even say that's even drifting into some tenacity, right? Tenacity for me is persistence with spirit. I do like that. I always forget. That's a fun word. Tenacious. Yes. And every time I think of it now, I have to go watch Tenacious D, the pick of destiny, because anytime I use the word tenacious or tenacity, I, I just got to go get me some Jack Black. It just has to happen. <laughs> Which is fair. I don't blame you. You do what, as I keep that. You do what you got to do. Is that what you got to watch? Right. I get it. Thank you so much for for doing this with me today. I I adore you, and it's only been like forty five minutes, and and I adore you, and I think that you're amazing, and I'm super glad that we got to connect, um, and that you get to be a part of this thing with me. I appreciate you allowing me to be a part of this thing. I mean, it's like I told you when I reached out, what you're doing is important. 
because I think more people need to realize that it's okay to be who we are and it's okay for the journey, whatever that journey looks like, how we got there. So thank you for having this and allowing us to tell our journey.